have anyone who wants to read the whole thing for us. Uh, it's actually one and a half chapters, but if I could get two to read, that would be great. And volunteer to read Exodus chapter 3. Okay. Glenda, and Exodus 4, 1 through 17. Okay. Angel. So, um, we're starting at 3. Yes, we're starting Exodus 3 and verse 1. And so, as soon as Glenda has it, she can start reading with her outside voice if you want. <laughs> now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. 
But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But every woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since I have, or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to, what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do the signs. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, this morning, um, we were in, in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're reminded of the great cloud of witnesses all around us. And he's talking specifically about those in Hebrews chapter 11. When we look at people like that, we, you know, when we look at Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, we look at them and we see how God used them and we kind of stand in awe. I mean, these are people whose names are well known. Uh, this is the one chapter that we might uh, um, not with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not authoritatively, but I think we can, we can look at it and go, 
he probably intended for us to add other names to it. I mean, we can think of uh, Peter and James and John and uh, Paul and Timothy and Titus. And then we mentioned others like Polycarp and uh, uh, Clement. And um, we, we thought about maybe Augustine and Luther and Calvin and Knox and, and uh, George Whitfield and who else did we mention? We mentioned uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones and uh, Francis Schaeffer. R.C. Sproul, others. We, we, I mean, these are names that for most of us we, we are, are recognizable and we think God used them in a mighty way. And, um, and, and you know, for a lot of them, written books and stuff like that, and, and we still have to read, and their, their influence has been tremendous. And we look at them and, and we marvel and we wonder, oh, gosh, they must be really special people. But I'm not. I'm not. God can't use me in any way like that. Well, this evening I want us to look at the call of Moses, a man that undeniably was greatly used by God. And I want us to consider as we look at Moses, just what kind of people does God use uh, in his ministry and see that, well, maybe God can use me. Maybe God will use me. And so I want us to uh, consider some things about Moses uh, as the type of person who he was and how God used him. Now, first, we, we just read a long portion for our text tonight, but we're going to go back a little bit. We're going to go into chapter 2, and I want us to see some things about Moses. Um, of course, you know he was born. He was put in a, in a basket out in the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter comes out and finds him, and she kind of adopts him as her own but he's and and here we pick it up he's grown up in verse 11 uh, Exodus 2 verse 11 one day after Moses had grown up he went out <clears throat> he went out where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his own people and glancing this way and that and seeing no no one he killed the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand what kind of person is Moses got a bit of an anger issue, doesn't he? And uh, so much so that he doesn't mind taking it out with physical force to put somebody to death. He's a murderer. Okay? Um, this is amazing. God would use someone such as a murderer. We think, God could never use me. You know how bad I am? If you knew how bad I was, you would never think that God could use me. I might think if you knew how bad I was, you'd never want me as your pastor. But that's okay if I knew how bad you were. I don't know that I would want you as a parishioner. I, I stole that from, uh, from uh, Steve Brown. Right? He used to say that. He said, if you knew how bad I was, you wouldn't want me as your pastor. But if I knew how bad you were, I wouldn't want you as my congregation. I, I dare to say... Um, that not anyone in this room has ever murdered anyone. Right? Moses did. Murdered him out of anger. He went out and murdered him. Moses wasn't the only one that did that, though. Remember David? David, when he committed adultery, and in order to hide his adultery that he committed with Bathsheba, we find this in 2 Samuel chapter 11, in order to hide it, he tries to trick uh, Bathsheba's husband into coming in and, and going to bed with her and then everybody would just think it was his but 
Uriah, who was not even a natural Jew, he says, I can't do this while my brother's out in battle. I can't enjoy the comforts of this life. So he wouldn't, wouldn't even go into the house to sleep. David writes his death warrant out for him, seals it, hands it to him, says, give this to the commander. And his death warrant said, when the battle gets the strongest, you put Uriah in the middle of it, and then right up front, and then you back away so that you're certain that he would get killed. He, he killed Uriah. He was a murderer, too. And yet David was known as a man after God's own heart. These weren't the only ones who did things that were kind of, uh, we look at and go, that was pretty bad. But God used them. He, he does amazing things. We look in the New Testament. You remember Peter? Peter all brave with his foot in his mouth. <laughs> and Peter says, Lord, I will never deny you. If everybody else does, you better know that I won't. Jesus says, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Right? And sure enough, Enough. He's standing out by the fire, the enemies of Christ, warming himself. And people coming out and saying, weren't you one of his disciples? And three times he says, no, I, I never knew him. I don't think there's one in here who, uh, yet, who has denied Christ, denied that you know him, denied that he's your savior. Hopefully not. We haven't, we haven't reached that yet. We see the way that God used Peter in the New Testament, just amazing ways. You think about uh, Paul. He was Saul before he was Paul, right? And remember what he did in Acts chapter 8, uh, uh, where we see the first Christian martyr, Stephen, being stoned to death. And it was this Saul who was holding their coats. It meant he was overseeing it as an official. He was overseeing the, the martyrdom of Stephen. And then in the very next chapter, Acts chapter 9, we see him going after the Christians. He's getting letters to go to other, other towns beside Jerusalem to, to find these Christians and bring them back so they can be thrown into jail. They can be beaten. They can be destroyed. There's no, no one in here who has done that sort of thing. We think of one, one other Old Testament illustration who is, we find in Hebrews chapter 11. The female in Hebrews chapter 11, Rahab, Harlot, prostitute, we don't have any of that in here. And yet God was pleased to use them. People like Moses who could not control his anger so much so that he would go out and murder someone. God somehow finds a way to use them. Sinners. We think, I'm so bad, God could never use me. But you know what? We have to recognize our own sinfulness before we come to him seeking the forgiveness that he provides for us in Christ. Moses had to have known the forgiveness of God that would come in the person of Jesus. David had to know the forgiveness that God would give to him that would come in the person of Jesus. Peter obviously knew the forgiveness of Jesus after he was resurrected and the Lord meets him on the shore. And three times he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. He's restoring Peter. He's calling Peter to go about a tremendous task for him. Paul, who's met on the road to Damascus. Is that the road to Damascus mm -hmm. where... where um, 
where he is struck down and blinded and this, uh, this voice, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you? Part, well, I'm Jesus. And you're persecuting me. You're persecuting my body, the church. And he knows the amazing grace that the Lord shows him. The type of people that God uses are those who are sinners, like Moses and David and Peter and Paul and even Rahab. Sinners like you and me, but sinners who are saved by his grace. We need to understand that God is pleased to use broken vessels such as ourselves. Well, so the type of people God uses are sinners. Good for us to know that, right? God uses because we are sinners, but God still can use us. Um, secondly, I want you to notice that not only are the people that God uses sinners, but they're also, uh, we see it in uh, Exodus 3, verse 10. After kind of an introduction to Moses at the burning bush, God comes to him and says, So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Israel. He is calling Moses. He's calling to a specific task. It's not Moses' choice. It's God's choice. And he says, Moses, you got to go do this. God does this with the people that he wants to go for certain tasks. We see it not only here with Moses. We see it uh, elsewhere in the New Testament and the New Te uh, Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. We see it with Jonah, don't we? <laughs> God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and uh, tell them unless they repent that God's judgment's coming on them. Noah, uh, Jonah didn't necessarily want to do that very much, did he? He said he's going to go the different way. Got on the boat until the storm comes up, and there's no way they're going to make it until they throw him overboard, and the fish comes and swallows him. Um, it wasn't as though he had a whole lot of choice in his calling, was it? And he's saying, I'm not going to do it. And God said, well, yeah, you will. And uh, he can be quite persuasive that way. And uh, he was quite persuasive with Jonah. And so the fish comes and, and vomits him up on the shore until he goes into Nineveh. And I imagine that was some sight, him going in and telling him, repent with all the seaweed hanging off of him. You know, probably sores from the acid in the fish's stomach and stuff. I don't know. He must be quite a sight to see. But God called him to go, and he used him in a mighty way there. Jonah wasn't real happy about it, but still... What about the Apostle Paul? Well, you know, he, what, what was he going to do? He was going to destroy um, the Christians and, and going to Damascus, and yet the Lord stops him on the road and says, no, you're not going to do that. I'm, I got a different chore for you. I got a different task for you in mind. So God calls him too. And it's not as though he could say, well, no, Lord, I don't think I want to do that. Um, God, like I say, can be quite persuasive. Not everyone is called to uh, be an evangelist, to stand in uh, to stand in <clears throat> stadiums filled with you know close to a hundred thousand people and present the gospel like Billy Graham did. And I don't know that there's any one of us in here who would be called to be his replacement. Not all of us are called. To not. Many of us are called to replace R.C. Sproul and the tremendous teaching ministry that he had and how he reached uh, uh, tens and even hundreds of thousands of people with his teaching. Uh, 
not many of us are called for that, but I want you to know that each one of us is called to give a witness, to give a witness to what Jesus has done for us. And uh, we're called to be his witnesses wherever we are, whatever, whatever means he gives us to witness for him. Moses was called. He was, first of all, a sinner, but uh, saved by grace. Secondly, he, he was called. And each of us are called. Maybe we don't know exactly what that calling is, but um, I, I like uh, what uh, Paul Coyster said to me one time. He said he sees that every, uh, every encounter he has with, with individuals as a uh, kingdom encounter, and it is an opportunity to witness to Christ. In every, with everyone that we meet, we, we maybe need to be thinking that way because I think that's what God calls us to, to be his witnesses uh, wherever we are, with whoever we come in contact with. Okay, so he was a sinner and he was called. Thirdly, um, <clears throat> I want you just to think about uh, the life of Moses. He uh, grew up in the house of Pharaoh, and so he had the best learning, the best education, the best training in Egypt. That uniquely qualified him for a task that God was going to put him to. He would have access to Pharaoh once he went back into the land. He would know the customs and the ways. He would know how to speak in the, in the, the court of Pharaoh and those sorts of settings. God had used that to prepare him. But then when he left, fearful of the king uh, because they found out he had murdered someone that wouldn't be good for Moses so he flees and he goes and uh, <clears throat> out in the wilderness he's tending sheep and he's been doing this for 40 years it's quite significant that God put him in that place so first of all he's got the training and the education in Egypt that he's going to need to go and confront them but now he's also going to have an education in the wilderness for 40 years with sheep out there by himself wandering around knowing you know how to find the proper water how to find um you know the, the, the places of safety uh, from all the dangers that could be there god was preparing moses all of this time the first 40 years there in egypt the second 40 years in the wilderness he's preparing him uniquely or what he's going to call him to. Paul. Um, Paul was prepared as well. Paul was uniquely prepared. Being, uh, as Saul, he was trained in the Ivy League of uh, Israel under Gamaliel. At that time, he had all the proper training and the way to speak to the different Jewish people that he would be speaking to, and even to the non-Jewish people he would be speaking to. He was, he was trained. He was prepared for that. And then after he converted, it's like three years before Barnabas goes from Antioch to uh, Tarsus to get him to bring him back to Antioch to help with the ministry there. You know what was going on in those three years? The Lord was giving him his seminary, preparing him, teaching him all the things that he would, he would need to know. And how, as Paul only had the Old Testament to read, he was able to read it and see that all of this, this is all pointing to Christ. Now I see it. I never saw it before until the Lord opened my eyes. And God is using that time to prepare him. Um, we see Barnabas going to get him in Tarsus in, in Acts chapter 11. I want you to know, whatever you're going through, you may think, you know, there's nothing so consequential about it. But whatever you're going through, God is using it to prepare you right now for future use in his kingdom. 
God is going to use you, whether you're going to seminary like James, or whether it's just on a daily basis, conversations you have, situations you're going through, God is going to use. There are no accidents in God's plan. Whatever you're going through, he is using it to prepare you for the calling that he has for you. Maybe, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, or it may be years down the road. Whatever you're going through right now, God is preparing you for the calling that he's given you in his kingdom, just as he did with Moses. Also notice something else about Moses. Um, not only was he a sinner, like we are, and yet God used him, not only was he called as all believers are called to go and take the gospel. Not only was he prepared as God would prepare us, I want you to notice something else about Moses. And I'm so encouraged that we have Exodus chapter 3 and 4 uh, here with, with Moses and God's call of him. Right after God tells him, I'm sending you to Pharaoh here in verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, look, look how Moses responds. Moses said to God, who am I? <laughs> I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. He's not understanding the preparation that God's given to him, but he's saying, me? Me? I've just been out here with these sheep for 40 years. That, that can't happen. Well, God's not going to let that go and say, oh, well, I'll go find somebody else. He doesn't do that. Look with me in verse 13. It's God's, God's not going to let that first excuse uh, work. So Moses said, well, I'll try something else. So verse 13 <laughs> Uh, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? He said, I don't know. I don't know enough. I can't, I can't go. Well, God's still not going to let him off the hook. He goes on, answers him. Look in chapter 4, um, verse 1. Moses, what, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And say, the Lord didn't appear to you. What's he saying? And I'm not sure you got the right guy here, God. And God still doesn't let him off the hook. Verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10. And Moses said to the Lord, Oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, uh, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Probably stuttered a little bit. <laughs> I know it. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? They, they didn't get that quite right, did they? Um, but anyway, he's offering an excuse here, Lord. You, you, maybe you got the wrong guy here. You need to find somebody else. And finally, all these excuses come to a climax. Moses can't quite think of what else to say, but he gets to the crux of the matter here in verse 13. Where Moses <laughs> says, oh, Lord, please some, send somebody else to do it. I'm the wrong guy, Lord. I'm wondering if he's thinking, you know, I left not such good terms. I don't necessarily want to go back there. I think maybe he was a little bit fearful in offering all of these excuses, every excuse he could think of. And finally he just comes out with it, send somebody else. I think sometimes when we look at maybe a task that the Lord is giving us to do, he's called us to do, to go out and to minister for him, Maybe we are a little bit timid. Maybe you're a little bit fearful, as it seems that Moses was here. And we want to offer every excuse that we can not to do it. i got to tell you, I'm just so glad that this is there. Because that would be me. Lord, I, I, that's, that's, a little, that's a little too much. I don't know that I can do that. But God says, no, 
no. Your fears aren't uh, aren't going to let you off the hook here. I'm glad that sometimes the people that God uses are fearful, and it's not just me. So sometimes they're fearful. But finally, the people that God uses are sinners, been saved by grace. They're called. Um, by God, they're prepared by God. Sometimes you're quite fearful to go. Uh, always uh, jumping in, or, you know, right off the bat, but fearful. And yet, God knows our fear. He knows our difficulties. Look at the way God encourages Moses <clears throat> here. Exodus chapter three, verse twelve. His first, after Moses' first excuse. Uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Look what God says to him. God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. Look with me in uh, chapter 4, verse 12. After Moses once again says, uh, I'm not eloquent. Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. I'm going to be with you, Moses. I'm going to be with you. That should be an encouraging promise, uh, a promise to us if God is with us. Joshua, you know, Moses had been the leader of the people for, for 40 years. The only leader is, is a nation that they had ever had in 40 years. And he led them through the wilderness right up to the edge of the promised land. And now Moses, my servant, is dead. God comes to Joshua, the young helper of Moses, and he says now uh, in, in Joshua chapter 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord came to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, and said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, then you and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give them uh, to the Israelites. All right? I'm going to use you. You do it. You take them. Well, gosh, that's got to be a fearful thing. I'm the, I'm the leader now, and I know that Moses had a hard time, but he's the only leader they had, and they saw him do all these things and taking them through. But look what God says to him in uh, chapter 1, verse 5. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. How's God trying to encourage Joshua and the task that he's calling him for. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm not sending you out there on your own. I'm going to be with you. Verse 9. He says it again. Uh, I, uh, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. What an encouragement. What an encouragement to say. I'm sending you on this task. It's a huge monumental mon mental task but I'm going with you I'm not sending you out there on your own you remember after Jesus raised from the dead he meets his disciples Matthew 28 the last, the last chapter the last few verses of Matthew Matthew 28 20 after he's given them the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel a daunting task and they, wow the whole world? I gotta go and tell this to the whole world? They're gonna be hostile to me about this. I know they are. I know the Jews, they put Jesus to death. They put you to death, Lord. I've seen it. Uh, and me? 
the sinner that I am? You're calling me to do this? And what does Jesus say in verse 20? And lo, I'm with you always. Doesn't mean he's not with us in the plane. I know the story. He really is. He's with you always. Jesus says, you go and you do it. But don't grow. You're not, don't worry. You're not going alone. I'm going with you. Why is he telling them that? They're going to be fearful too. But every time they fear about going and doing what God's calling them to do, he says, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. This is what God's promised to us too. Promised us the, the, the task he's given us to do, to go out and witness for him. We're not alone. We may be a little fearful, but that's okay. We're not alone because he is with us. The Almighty, all-powerful God is going with us as we go. So, the people that God uses, look at yourself. See if you fit in any of these categories here. The sinners are saved by grace. That'd be us as a Christian, right? Called? Yeah, I think God calls each one of us to be witnesses to him and go out and, and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Prepare? Now, most of us have been in the church and grown up in the church all of our lives. Certainly, in the amount of time, in the 60-odd years that I've lived, or, well, or half of that, uh, that, that I've lived, God should certainly have prepared me, right? And how many years you've been, been in the church and you've been learning and, and the experiences you've had outside the church, God's preparing you to do what he's called you to do. Sometimes, maybe you look at it and go, I don't know that I can speak to them. I might mess it up. Fearful. God says, don't you worry. You go ahead and do it anyway because I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Well, that's the kind of people that God uses. Those who are sinners, they're called, they're prepared. They're sometimes fearful, but they're never alone. And so that, that was the truth with Moses. It's the truth with us as well. All right. Let me pray for us. Lord, you have called us.